Hello, friends. Welcome to episode four of the Francis Asbury Society podcast. It's always so exciting when you stop by. Today's devotion is led by Lane Lohman. Lane is an evangelist and also a speaker of the Francis Asbury Society. At the end of this episode, I'll share more about our speakers, uh, but I'm excited that you get an opportunity to listen to this devotion by Lane Lohman. And I've had the privilege and honor to sit under Lane's teaching a handful of times. And uh, I have to tell you that I'm always uh, deeply encouraged and blessed by it. And so without further ado, let me hand you over to Lane Lohman. All right. Well, glad to see you all uh, and just start our week together. And we're excited. Man, we still have people coming in. Uh, excited to have Lane Lohman share with us this morning. Uh, and so I will hand it over to Lane to lead us in our devotion. Just do a quick sound check. Everybody hear me okay? Yes. Uh-huh. Good. Well, as I was thinking about this morning's devotional, it occurred to me that we live in a society where there are a lot of knockoffs. If you know that phrase, you know that there are a lot of, there's a lot of product out there that wants you to believe that it's the genuine item uh, when it's really a fabricated addition of that particular item. I have something I want to show you. See that right there? That is to Lane by my best regards from Cal Ripken Jr. Hmm. Cal Ripken Jr. And there's a picture of him actually signing the baseball for me. It's the genuine item. It's authentic. I got on an airplane uh, in Wichita Falls, Texas several years ago, and there was a nice storm in Dallas. And so they diverted our plane to Houston, Texas. And those were the days when you didn't have assigned specific seats. And I was sitting on the airplane and I was sitting on the aisle seat or in the aisle seat. And I looked and coming down the aisle was none other than Mickey Mantle. And he was looking for a seat. And uh, as he got to where I was sitting, I said, Mickey, there's a seat right here. The middle seat was open on my row. And he sat down beside me. So from Houston, Texas, all the way to Nashville, Tennessee, I got to talk to Mickey Mantle. Wow. And that was really incredible. And when we're getting ready to get off the plane, he reached into his briefcase and he pulled out a picture of himself kneeling in the batter's box. It's a famous picture, uh, kneeling in the batter's box at Yankee Stadium. And he signed that picture. It's authentic because I sat beside the guy who was in the picture who signed it. Luke chapter nine is where we're going this morning. It's a very familiar passage of scripture. Uh, The disciples, the apostles actually have have been appointed and they've been sent. They've been given authority and now they've returned and they give their report to Jesus. 5,000 are fed. Jesus asked the question, who do the people say that I am? And Peter responds, you are the Messiah. And then Jesus begins to talk to them very seriously. Not that what he'd already said wasn't serious, but this was something they needed to get because what he was about to tell them was going to be the line of demarcation for people. If they received what they would say after he had ascended back to the father, uh, then they would go to heaven. If not, it was eternity in hell. Here's what it says. And it's a passage that you all know. And he said, speaking of Jesus, 
Luke chapter 9, verse 22. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Take up the cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed. The Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of his holy angels. My dad was a great evangelist, and uh, I have the privilege of continuing to produce the radio program he started in 1937. It's called The Lights of Spiritual Guidance. And on that program, it's a weekly program on 14 different stations. And uh, so I um, use my dad's sermons uh, once a month. And several weeks ago, I was listening, editing the program and listening to dad's sermon for that particular weekend. And he made a statement in that particular sermon that I think summarizes the current trend among too many regarding Christianity in the 21st century church. This is what he said, and I quote, all men want to be saved, but not all men want to be saved God's way. All men want to be saved but not all men want to be saved from sin. All men want to be saved, but not all men want to pay the price. All men want to be saved, but not all men want to be saved now. Preached a message on authentic Christianity in Norfolk, Virginia last week. And this is just a synopsis of that, that sermon. Authentic, true, accurate made to be or look like an original, disciple, a convinced adherent of a school or individual, one who accepts and assists in spreading the doctrines of another. This passage of scripture that we read a few minutes ago, it's familiar to all of us. But when you read this, he's talking to his disciples. And like I said earlier, he's very emphatic about it. And in so many words, he's wanting them to understand uh, you've got to get this in your own heart, in your own spirit, because you're going to convey this message as apostles of mine. And when you share this message, the people have got to get this. There can be no mistakes about it. And he says, if any man will come after me, his, in, his standard is inclusive. It says, he said to them all, we have one standard for authentic Christianity. And that's the standard that Jesus Christ laid down for us in his teachings. And then his standard is intentional. Free will is implied when he makes a statement. Whoever wants to be my disciple, it's not something we inherit. We all know that. It's something that we desire, that we ask for. We, in the old terminology, plead the blood for. We want to know Christ at the personal level. And it's an intentional act of the will. If we're going to be his disciples, it's not going to be something that's light and fluffy and we just kind of add a little bit of God to our lives. We know that. 
It's intentional. We want, we desire to know, to be a disciple of his. His standard also denies self. Must deny themselves, he said. And I think without exception, that is probably the most difficult thing for most people to come to terms with. That if I'm going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, self-sovereignty is not a part of the equation. I must surrender everything to him. And then Jesus' standard is consistent. Take up the cross daily and follow me. It's going to be a consistent following of Christ. As we consume his word, consume the standard, and allow that standard to be the way we live our lives. A few years ago, I read the book Bonhoeffer, and maybe you've read the book. Eric Metaxas wrote the book, and it's an incredible book about an incredible man. Well, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he wrote a book, and you're familiar with it, I'm sure, The Cost of Discipleship. And in that book, Cost of Discipleship, this is what he says about grace. Grace is represented as the church's inexhaustible treasury from which she showers a blessing with generous hands or blessings with generous hands without asking questions or fixing limits. Grace without price, grace without cost. And the essence of grace, we suppose, is that the account has been paid in advance. And because it has been paid, everything spiritually can be had for nothing. Since the cost was infinite, the possibilities of using and spending it are infinite. What would grace be, he asked, if it were not cheap? But, he goes on, cheap grace creates a church where the world finds a cheap covering for its sins. No contrition is required still less any real desire to be delivered from sin. Cheap grace means the justification of sin without the justification of the sinner. Grace alone does everything, they say. And so everything can remain as it was before. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Cheap grace is baptism without church discipline. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ, living and incarnate. These are my words. If we are not careful, we will allow cheap grace to create a Christianity that is worthless. So we're talking about authentic Christianity today. Just a couple of weeks ago, and this, and I'll be through, I came across something that was very provocative, uh, very sobering. Uh, it challenged me as I read it, and I want to read it to you. It's titled, The Question That Changed My Life by David Reiser. And I quote, a number of years ago, I had the privilege of teaching at a school of ministry. My students were hungry for God, and I was constantly searching for ways to challenge them to fall more in love with Jesus and to become voices for revival in the church. I came across a quote attributed most often to Reverend Sam Pascoe. It is a short version 
of the history of Christianity. And it goes like this. Christianity started in Palestine as a fellowship. It moved to Greece and became a philosophy. It moved to Italy and became an institution. It moved to Europe and became a culture. It came to America and became an enterprise. Reiser noted that some of the students were only 18 or 19 years old, and I wanted them to understand and appreciate the importance of the last line. So I clarified it by adding an enterprise. That's a business. After a few moments, Martha, the youngest student in the class, raised her hand. I could not imagine what her question might be. I thought the little vignette was self-explanatory, and I had performed it brilliantly. Nevertheless, I acknowledged Martha's raised hand. Yes, Martha. She asked such a simple question. A business? But isn't it supposed to be a body? I could not envision where this line of questioning was going, and the only response I could think of was, yes. She continued, but when a body becomes a business, isn't that a prostitute? The room went dead silent. For several seconds, no one moved or spoke. We were stunned, afraid to make a sound because the presence of God had flooded into the room and we knew we were on holy ground. God had taken over the class. Martha's question changed my life. For six months, I thought about her question at least once every day. When a body becomes a business, isn't that a prostitute? There's only one answer to her question. The answer is, is yes. Riser continues. The American church, tragically, is heavily populated by people who do not love God. How can we love him? We don't even know him. And I mean really know him. I stand by my statement that I believe that most American Christians do not know God, much less love him. The root of this condition originates in how we came to God. Most of us came to him because of what we were told he would do for us. We were promised that he would bless us in life and take us to heaven after death. We married him for his money. And we don't care if he lives or dies as long as we get <coughs> enough. We've made the kingdom of God into a business, merchandising is anointing. This should not be. We are commanded to love God and are called to be the bride of Christ. That's pretty intimate stuff. We're supposed to be his lovers. How can we love someone we don't even know? And even if we do know someone, is that a guarantee that we truly love him? Are we lovers or prostitutes? I was pondering Martha's question again one day and considered this question. What's the difference between a lover and a prostitute? I realize that both do many of the same things, but a lover does what she does because she loves. A prostitute, prostitute pretends to love, but only as long as you pay. Then I ask the question, what would happen if God stopped paying me? For the next several months, I allowed God to search me to uncover my motives for loving and serving him. Was I truly a lover of God? What would happen if he stopped blessing me? What if he never did another thing for me? Would I still love him? 
Please understand, I believe in the promises and blessings of God. The issue is not whether God blesses his children. The issue is the condition of my heart. Why do I serve him? Are his blessings in my life the gifts of a loving father? Or are they the wage that I've earned or a bribe payment to love him? Do I love God without any conditions? Is my Christianity authentic? Father, thank you for the questions asked. And even though we who are on this call today are serving you in many different capacities, may we be certain and sure that we do not become mechanical going through the motions. May we be sure, Father, that our motives are true. May we be sure that we're not just going through the motions. Father, I pray that we would be a lover, not a prostitute when it comes to being a part of the church. I thank you for the words of Bonhoeffer, Riser. I thank you that we can learn from them and think about things deeper, perhaps, than we have and not allow ourselves just to become uh, a part of the church instead of being the church. Bless those uh, who are listening to my voice today. Thank you for this group of people. Thank you for the prayers that we pray for one another. Mm. Father, if I know these people, and I don't know them all that well, but I know some of them well, our desire is to truly be authentic disciples of Jesus Christ. May that be so in all of our lives. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, I do hope that you were as blessed by Lane's devotion as I was, and probably a little bit challenged uh, regarding living with authenticity. Those of us on the Zoom call, we had a great time sharing back and forth with one another in response to these words. I do want to take a moment and share with you about our FAS speakers. I'm going to put a link in our show notes that will take you to our FAS page, which highlights and gives you more information about our speakers. Some of our FAS speakers are staff here, but many of them are not. All of them, though, come highly recommended. These are men and women who God has gifted to preach the word with authenticity. On that page, you also are going to find a Google Calendar, which lists uh, dates and locations for some of our speakers. And let me tell you that if you find one of these speakers in your area, do yourself a favor and take the time to go sit under their teaching. I can guarantee uh, you won't regret that. If you're looking for a speaker to come and preach at your church or ministry event, we recommend any of these men and women listed there on the page. Finally, I'm going to put a link to Lane Lohman's personal ministry page where you can learn more about Lane, find out when and where he's speaking, as well as opportunities to schedule Lane to come preach at your church, your ministry context, wherever that might be. Many of our speakers like Lane are specifically called to this type of ministry, and they make their living through the support of individuals and churches who call on them to serve. So I encourage you to keep Lane and the others in your prayers as they travel the globe and share God's word with authenticity. Thanks again for stopping by. Take a moment to leave uh, a review, to subscribe to the show, share it with a friend. We appreciate you, and we'll see you next week.